Hello, and welcome to the Bitcoin.Review podcast. This is an ad-free pod. Thank you so much for streaming those ads. If you're a new listener, I'm NVK, and I run CoinKite, where we've been helping people secure their Bitcoins for over a decade. We make products like the Code Card, the Block Clock, and we have a bunch of other projects. You can find more information on CoinKite.com. Today, we have some awesome guests to read the list. So, uh, hello, Lynn. Hey, happy to be here. I'm probably, I might have the distinction of being like the least qualified person ever on your show. That is uh, just perfect. Craig Raw. Hey, MVK, good to be here again. And Ben DeCartman. Hey, guys. Good to be back on again. So, for the people that don't know, Craig is the lead maintainer of Sparrow Wallet. Uh, and Ben DeCartman uh, uh, is part of the Bitcoin company and Mutiny Wallet now, uh, doing all kinds of cool WASM stuff. And, uh, and Lynn, if you don't know, she does have a thing or two to say about economics. Um, <laughs> I think you won't need too much introductions. So uh, I wanted to, to give a shout out to a few events at the Bitcoin Park in Nashville. Uh, they're going to have an open house on Wednesday, March 15th. Then there is the Product and Design Summit on April 12th. And the Power of Lightning Summit on July 13th. The guys from Bitcoin Park are killing it. Thanks, Adele and Rod, for the work you do. Another fun note on events is uh, instead of me blabbing about most of the events, we have now a, a nice URL, bitcoinevents.org, without the HTTPS because it's just a redirect where we now have a Bitcoin events page on Bitcoin.review that is maintained by yours truly, Johnny, where we try to keep uh, a lot of Bitcoin events up to date. And you can search, you can sort. Uh, I figured uh, it was a much needed thing. So uh, check that out. So guys, uh, let's get started with the list. Uh, so I added Sparrow as the first since we have uh, Craig here. Craig, do you want to uh, give us uh, a brief summary of the, the reviews and highlights of uh, 172 and 173? Sure, uh, I'll do my best. Uh, so I think, you know, 172, it was a bit of a gap between 171 and 172 and the major features that were introduced uh, in 172 are really about actually somewhat hidden. Um, it's, it's really about upgrading the internal engine that Sparrow uses when it talks directly to Bitcoin Core. So this is not when you're using an Electrum server, but when you're directly connecting to Bitcoin Core. And the upgrade there is that it uses Bitcoin Core's relatively new descriptor wallets, uh, which is a sort of more modern way of doing things on Bitcoin Core right now with regard to wallets. So that was quite a lot of work um, building that in, but it really sets up Sparrow for the future in terms of where Bitcoin Core is going. Not that I expect the Core's legacy wallets to disappear anytime soon, but it's going to never go away. Yeah, but uh, you know, it still sets them up. And I think if you're using Core, you have to, with those legacy wallets, you have to compile this ancient version of Berkeley DB and it's it's just really not ideal. So it kind of makes life a little bit easier for us all. 
So that was one of the big ones. Beyond that, uh, there's always an issue around pass phrases. So it's an ongoing thing of me trying to improve Sparrow so people don't fall over their own feet when it comes to a pass phrase. As some people know, if you enter a pass phrase, you, you know, any, any pass phrase creates a valid seed, which means that any pass phrase you enter in Sparrow will create a valid wallet. And that means that people don't often understand when they have entered a pass phrase and introduce a type that they get a valid wallet. So quite a lot of work in the last few months going into that, just trying to make sure, number one, that when you enter the passphrase, it shows you the master fingerprint and a little visual cue, which we call a life hash, which is a unique little image. Are you using the XFP for that? Yes, I am. Yeah, it's just a direct use of those, those bytes. Correct. Perfect. So you can see as you type this thing in into the password field, uh, sort of a passphrase field, which looks like a pass, password word field, you can see and you can just do a visual check like, yes, I've got my passphrase right. And then just, you know, in 173, which just came out earlier today, again, this actually now goes further that when you create a wallet, it actually, when you have to kind of confirm that you even want to use a pass passphrase and read a little, a little blurb to explain what I just explained around every passphrase creates a valid wallet. So really just trying to reduce the user support around the passphrase use because it is a thing. Um, and I know that other wallets have tried different things. Some make the wallet password the same as the wallet pass passphrase, which is a clever trick, but you know, obviously limits um, what you can do with it. And some, I believe, just uh, allow you to kind of hard code it, you know, kind of just make sure that it's kind of written into the seed. So it's not something you have to enter every time. So yeah, yeah, there's a few different ways to do it, but I hopefully have reached a level where it's going to be a bit easier now. Um, beyond that, we've got BIP329, which is uh, wallet labels. Um, and that's really about having a standard to import and export labels from a wallet. You know, you can easily transfer your funds with a seed, but you can't take your labels uh, until this BIP arrived. And I'm hoping that- That's other your own BIP, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, started that with that last last year and it took about six months to get that approved as a BIP. But it seems to um, have now gone through and be relatively uncontroversial. So hopefully we're going to see it implemented in other wallets and then you can switch to different different wallets and take tables along with you, which is, I think, an important thing for us uh, so that we don't feel locked into any particular application. Then, of course, we have the tap signer, which came in as a supported hard hardware wallet on Sparrow as of 1772. And I've been pleasantly surprised by the number of people who have purchased a desktop card reader and are using it. So, <laughs> no. well done to you, NBJ. I, I was very surprised that, uh, you know, like the, the NFC stuff was sort of like the go is for phones, right? Phone first people. And uh, I was actually surprised at how many people want uh, the card readers and do NFC on the actual desktop. Th there is one uh, laptop from HP, I think, that does have NFC on the on the near the keyboard. But yeah, that that was surprising to me too. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's. I think people just like the form factor of a card. It kind of makes yes. sense. It's a really a financial. Um, it's, it's sort of a, they, they, they see it as some, something which is familiar and I think that that helps a lot. Um, and then of course we have the SATS card as well. There's also support for that. Um, so, you know, it's, it's also a very handy device to be able to just load some funds on, perhaps give it to someone as a gift or 
as a trade, I think it's a nice um, way to be able to use Bitcoin in a very fungible manner. People are sticking their ordinals. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We could we could we could talk for some 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 time about that. Mm -hmm. I'm sure. But on with the list, we've we've then got um, upgrades now to HWI 2.2.1, which just fixes a variety of different things, particularly around the ledger. Um, I believe that there's new ledger firmware, by the way, coming out today, which uh, if you want to use Taproot, uh, you should get your hands on. Um, but there's just a variety of fixes there. Also for Unchained wallets, which use a very old derivation path for P2SH wallets. So it's, it's um, helpful there to just be able to sign with those and then there's just a variety of other things uh, you've got in 173 now the ability to configure an external block explore explore explorer to view any kind of transaction that, that 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 you have so you can construct your transaction sign it broadcast and immediately click to see it on mempool.space hopefully you run your own instance but you can obviously configure whatever you want there and what else do we have have here a variety of other smaller smaller things but i think that that's the sort of major major changes that um, have come in over the last two versions very cool you know, Sparrow is, uh, you know, one of the best desktop wallets and, and people are really using it. Thank you for maintaining this. Sure, sure. I, I love the I love software that is one man show. <laughs> the best software is written by very few people. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. I've spent a lot of time think, thinking about that. And, you know, it's if you're in a large team, there's an ability to, you know, think that it's someone else's job that if there's a small small team you kind of take the responsibility on and it's your your job so well it's also you know. easy to lose sort of like focus and, and lose the the sort of like the, your main goal because like more people have opinions and and software in my view should be opinionated except for protocols yeah agreed okay i guess now uh, my turn here uh mark 4 version 5.1 it's been a while since we had an update uh we've been trying to to be more conservative and not have a lot of updates. Uh, why? Because, you know, people are not getting robbed. So why why <laughs> open the doors? So code card Mark IV, version 5.1.0. New feature is uh, microSD card as a second factor authenticator uh, authentication. I, I really wanted this. Essentially, uh, you, can, you can use a microSD card to be part of your login process into a code card. So you have a special microSD card that you can hide somewhere else. And if you don't have it, cold card can wipe the seed. It could uh, brick the device. So, so that if you don't want to remember trick pins or duress pins, uh, you can just have this extra little card. Uh, it's very hard for an attacker to understand that that's going on. So uh, also for the top signer, now we can import the top signer encrypted backup as the main seed or ephemeral seed. So if you need to recover, you have like a nice little way to do that, that you don't need a computer to do it. And also you can do tap signer via PSBT. Detached signatures, that, that was another big one. So I've encountered folks who are managing like large amounts of funds uh, and, and people are now very concerned about their daily drivers or also even any computer really. And when you export an address list to double check to make big transactions, one concern was what if the, the computer is uh, altering those addresses through malware or something, right? So what we're doing now is we're signing all the exports from cold card with uh, your private key. So it's a Bitcoin message signed, right? 
And uh, this is a nice little sort of like complete cycle of, of the file usage. It's kind of a big deal. Do you sign with every address? No, we sign the whole message, right? Oh, okay. So so your address list signed, right? And it's a detached signature, right? So you have a separate signature file and you can use uh, this website that we just launched called check message, checkmsg.com. Is that right? <laughs> is it .com or .org? Uh, checkmsg.org. The cool thing is that one is sort of like uses open libraries and stuff, but you can check it on your computer. So you don't have to be a, a shadowy supercoder to be able to check messages. Right. So, and you're just checking the signature. So you don't have to dox your message. What else? Code card cannot verify signed files. So yeah, so we do the opposite as well. So you can verify the signature in the code card when the files are coming in. That's pretty cool too, because you don't have to trust what you're importing. Uh, import enhancement. So now you can import uh, multi-sig wallet via uh, virtual disk. You can do that via NFC. Uh, what else here? That's uh, oh, export enhancements. Uh, so samurai post and premix descriptors. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah. So I know there is a lot of uh, folks that that like to use uh, Sparrow with code card for their mixing. So you can import and export that now. We add a Lily Wallet. Uh, we we've sort of like overhauled all the import and exports. That was sort of like a nice little uh, gardening operation there. <laughs> Backuping it. Oh yeah, so the backups are kind of better now. So uh, people want to do more than one microSD backup with the same password. Uh, we save that password for the next backup as well, unless you want to not do that, so that you don't have to write uh, the password multiple times because it's twelve word password. We added some uh, some extra security checks against people being dumb and lazy. So so if you're throwing dice now, we prevent you from doing like ultra low entropy stuff. So for example, press zero 99 times <laughs> and, and have poor entropy. But there's, you know, there's limits to what we could do there. Uh, and then, you know, a few bug fixes. We added uh, uh, dice rolls code to duplicate uh, roles for 12 seed words. And then we had to release a 5.1.1 because <laughs> there was a little bug on the update code. So that's it on that. Lynn, uh, do you use uh, hardware wallets? I do, yes. Awesome. <laughs> uh, ben, I'm sure you do too. Yeah, big fan. I have a unopened mk4 somewhere on my desk but <laughs> <laughs> all right guys uh nunchuck version 1.9.21 and uh, 0.26 uh on android added buffer period for inheritance claiming so uh this is this is for their uh, collaborative multi-sig services uh they are adding more options there on how many days uh, to trigger things okay so oh also this is another nice one so they have a density slider for qr codes uh, so that you can have a QR code if uh, less uh, less density, so it's easier to read. Uh, enable autofocus uh, when scanning QR codes. That's a nice little tangent there. So, so QR codes right now for a lot of Bitcoin software is very poorly implemented, in my opinion. And people are finding out that they have an actual very hard time using it, even though it's not supposed to be that way. Phone cameras do have good cameras. Sorry, phones have good cameras. 
uh, so they can read from screens that are kind of uh, shittier. But, uh, you know, computer cameras can't read well. So it's a mess. And it's kind of interesting because, see, QR codes on screen don't really need error correction that much, right? Because they're not getting printed. They're not getting, like, folded. Uh, you're not concerned about losing pixels. I don't understand why devs are adding error correction to those QR codes and adding unnecessary data to it, making it even harder to read. So if you're out there making QR implementations, you can probably turn error correction to zero and lower the density. Also, uh, I think we need new standards. But anyways, hopefully in the future that happens. Uh, do you add uh, error correction on the, on the um, uh, Sparrow uh, wallet? Well, it's not really a choice. You know, you're following a, a UR uh, spec. Uh, it does add it. Yeah, that spec's terrible. Uh, well, <laughs> that's your your view. I mean, you know, uh, we have talked about it. Um, yeah, look, I think it's just important that we do follow a spec. You know, I, I think you know we've if we all just used our own method of doing QRs, it would be a real mess. And I think. Oh it's, no, I agree. I agree. It, it would be the situation that we have with USB right now. Uh, you know, every time we have, thank goodness we have Andrew Chow who maintains HWI. But to be honest, every single hardware wallet has invented their own USB protocol, and it's a mess. I mean, it's it really is. So that's that's an interesting one. It's a shame that we don't all just use serial over USB because that would have made things a lot simpler. The problem for the USB, though, USB stack is too complex and different hardware can only use USB in certain different ways. So it's not really that people chose to be different. It's just that that's a hardware limitation kind of thing. That's the best sort of framework for it. The QR spec is a little different. QRs like have a certain way of being done. And I think that spec sort of like disrespects... <laughs> Oh, AQR is supposed to be done. But that's, that's, you know, when you talk about standards, everybody disagree, right? That's that's the nature of standards. Uh, and then everybody makes a compromise. Yeah, sure, that. sure. But, but I mean, for, for for the devs, you have to build, build the sort of wallets to tie it all together. Mm -hmm. Standards are very helpful, even if they're not perfect, you yes. know? And they, oh, I agree. They make, they make life a lot easier. Um, I, I just dread to think what it would be like if every hardware wallet decided to invent its own QR approach. Um, it would be an absolute mess. Yeah, I think it's early enough that we can fix that problem and hopefully create something that's a lot easier for devs to implement as well. So, because I, I think to add a UR, you need something like, you know, seven or nine libraries to be added to the hardware, which is completely unrealistic. So yeah, I mean, like, you know, I can, I can just sort of like wave my hands until I actually propose something or, you know, our team propose something. I think too, like, you can really reduce the error correction for Bitcoin QRs because like if you're using batch 32 or yes. 32M, like it already has error correction basically built in. So yeah, it, it's, be able it's, to handle it, it. That, that spec should never have existed. Uh, if people just have used like the, the standard QR spec, you would already have sort of, you know, worked. Like even just basic, like a plain text display, right? Encoding, it would have worked better. Well, here's an interesting one too. I, I'm very skeptical that the amount of data you're going to need for interactive uh, taproot signatures is going to work over QR animated. It might be too much and too much back and forth. 
So, uh, so that's uh, that's where like USB or NFC or something else that's interactive might uh, might take over. We don't know. I want to see all these things sort of like seeing how they evolve. Thankfully, it's early enough, and we can still sort of like make make good decisions. Sure. I mean, just bear in mind, there are quite a lot of hardware wallets that have already implemented the UR mm -hmm. spec. So you say it's early, but uh, it's not that early. <laughs> I, I can totally feel the, oh my God, I have to integrate another standard uh, response. No, actually, I, I, I really, I, I don't mind building standards to read, but, you know, a wallet has to choose a standard to mm -hmm. display. I agree. You know, I, I I don't want to have to present the user with, well, you know, which <laughs> which QR standard would you like to use today? Um, that doesn't seem ideal. And I don't think we should, as an industry, try and put that burden onto users. I agree. Um, so I think there has to be a very strong reason to use a different staff standard. You know, as I say, we're not that early yet. It's not like we've got, you know, one hardware wallet that's half implemented it. We probably have right. at least five, all of whom use it as their default and normal approach. So right. yeah, it's, it's, uh, it would be a, a big effort to switch to anything else, a concerted effort across the industry with vendors who are competing with each other. And we all know how difficult that is. <laughs> it's an interesting industry anyways. Well, the, the, the funny thing is like, you know, a lot of vendors just don't make it eventually, right? It's, uh, I think it's hard to to sort of really get into the weeds without having something proposed. Sure. So Trezor Suite version 23.2.1, uh, preparation for extended testing for Bitcoin testnet. Well, that's nice. And replaced by Fiend Taproot. That's nice too. Zeus version 0.7.3-beta 2, uh, QR code scanner, import QR images from gallery, biometric login, channels, view pending, and closed Force closed channels, time timer display, fast node switching, LNRO off. So Zeus is awesome. I don't know if you guys have tried it. Like it works great with Albi and uh, and Blue Wallet, but uh, the Albi backend integration is is quite amazing. I've been using that a lot now as my default. So when people send boostergrams to this show, they go to my Albi, even though it uses my address because they support LNRO proxy. And then you use Zeus as your sort of like daily wallet on your phone, even though you're using the Albi's node. Anyone play with that? Zeus is great. I use it as my daily mobile interface to my node. It's uh, it's good. Nice. Yeah, same here. Uh, the uh, Lighting Node Connect integration was huge for me, where like before you'd have to connect to your node over Tor, and that never worked. But uh, the LNC stuff uses like this mailbox proxy thing that's all encrypted and stuff, and it's super cool. So now it works extremely well. Lynn, from a user perspective, uh, like what uh, what what Lightning wallets are you using, and and sort of like how how you you finding this space to be? Uh, so I actually I use a bunch of different ones to test them out, um, and so I I've, I've used Breeze. I've also used you know like the, the really simple one like the wallet of Satoshi just to see what that's like. You know that's the one that's kind of capturing everything. Uh, but I, I, you know, I go out and use a bunch of different ones to test the user experience to actually see what that's like. Um, that's kind of the from like a a busy person's perspective or a non like a non super technical person's perspective. Usually, basically, the more sovereign one is, the more you kind of run into little frictions. Whereas, you know, if you just kind of 
put it all in like this simple custodial thing and put it away, then it's super fast and easy, but then you're giving up all that. And that's actually one of the notes I submitted to the, the show, which was that I like the build out or at least the, the you know the, the work people are doing in like you know charming eCash type of things because if if people are going to use custodial solutions I'd at least rather see it be private and have you know the custody distributed over a broader space rather than everybody use a handful of gigantic honeypots and so for example like the you know the, the Fetty team for example Obi you know they're they're you know um, and through ego death capital, we're, we're invested in them. But basically, what what they're looking to do is make something that's kind of like Wallet Satoshi in terms of user experience, but you know, is more low custody and more private. Um, so, but I, I like a work the work that a lot of different ones are doing, including including Breeze and others. Yeah, I've sort of uh, assumed the same approach. I've decided that all my lightning is going to be done the normie way. I'm only using wallets that I don't have to run a node. I'm trying to find sort of like the best balance where like, for example, this Albi implementation where they sort of give you a little bit more access and control over things, but still sort of their node. And, and it does work great. Breeze is fantastic. Been really liking that wallet. I think they have plans of running the node or something like that or, or hosted channels or something along those lines within the actual app. Roy is trying to, to actually like, you know, give people their their control within the technical limits of it because you know i guess like most people are not gonna run their node for for lightning and lightning is a lot less value too right i mean you know you're not really concerned about like rug pulls from from the the maintainer i think it's more like a privacy concern in my view because like lightning does give you some decent privacy if it's done right but again, if you're using somebody else's node, then then you're kind of doxing yourself. I don't know. Like it, it seems like things are progressing. It's kind of cool that we have Ben here because uh, these guys are building like privacy first Lightning wallet on the browser, uh, where the node is on the browser, and and that could be easily ported to to phones as well. So why maybe we take that tangent? So uh, Ben, do you want to sort of like give us a little bit of a primer on Mutiny? Uh, yeah, sure. So yeah, like you gave it out pretty well. Like it's a privacy focused lightning wallet built in the browser. So um, it can kind of run anywhere. Like we even got it running on an Xbox uh, browser. Like it works like on literally any device pretty much. And, have you tried uh, a Tesla yet? No, we haven't. I don't have a Tesla. So we got to find <laughs> someone with one. But uh, yeah, I assume it will work on a Tesla. So yeah, like it's a... Lightning Wallet that kind of works anywhere and it's going to be privacy focused. So it's built using BDK and LDK. So these two products are kind of on the forefront of uh, like all of like all the new things happening in Bitcoin and Lightning. Like BDK is like uh, has like Taproot and Miniscript and all that stuff. And LDK is kind of like they're like working on Bolt 12 stuff right now and like uh, dual funded channels and all that stuff. So. A lot of like really new, cool new stuff is like happening in these projects because they're like a lot more new and nimble right now. They don't have a ton of users, so they can kind of just build without worrying about stuff. So um, we hope to be like, be like pushing kind of the boundaries and all that stuff. And it seems like it's going to happen. So uh, we're really excited about it. Uh, yeah, disclosure, I invested in your company. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's, uh, I think... I think uh, Wasm is not talked enough about. Uh, I think, I think this is our last chance of sort of like winning the browser crap back 
for people that don't understand, like, you know, the browser is just like absurd, horrible OS on your OS uh, with remote code execution. <laughs> and, and on top of that, you have JavaScript. So like, it, it's really bad. Like it can't handle secrets. You know, you're, you're really exposing your computer to a lot of, a lot of attacks. And then you're also building in, in very sort of like, uh, 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 you're, you're building on top of mud uh, because JavaScript and Node are not really designed uh, to do any security stuff. It's like a package nightmare for people to audit. Uh, and so it's, it's very bad for Bitcoin. And with, uh, with Wasm, you can actually compile everything into WebAssembly, right? From WebAssembly uh, and, and sort of like run applications that are a little bit more contained uh, on the browser. Uh, and it also gives you a lot more powerful things because of all the C bindings and all that stuff. So Ben, how, how are you guys doing the privacy part of Mutiny? Um, so like with the privacy parts, like kind of like two things. One is like, uh, like, cause we have, it's, you know, on chain and lightning. So you kind of have to handle both separately. Um, for the lightning part, we're trying to like use like a lot of the cool new stuff that's happening. So we're going to like make it like default, like blinded pass, um, once those are available and as well, like something really cool we can do with LDKs, like, like today with like most nodes, like when I open a channel to like, say like. Uh, a bit refill, and then I open another channel to like open node. Those are all both tied to the same uh, original node that I had. So like um, someone can see and like use that node ID to link both those channels to to me. But with LDK, it's like pretty much costless to just create a new node for every single channel. So we can have like you know ten channels and ten different nodes all running in the browser that with like kind of no extra overhead. So that lets us like kind of separate those identities between every channel. Like basically like, it's kind of like the don't reuse addresses um, version of, uh, but for lightning. And um, so that should be like a really big privacy improvement for sends and receives. And uh, for the on-chain part, and we're just kind of doing traditional on-chain practices that exist today. Um, but eventually want to add like coin joint support and stuff like that, that should really uh, help, uh, you know, enhancing that, especially with the uh, most CoinJoin wallets today, or if not all, don't really support Lightning. So you want to merge the two so you can kind of like get that full-fledged experience where you don't have to like, you know, go CoinJoin in your um, hardware wallet or whatever, and then bring it over to your Lightning wallet and then like lose all that properties you had before. So try to get like a full-fledged experience of like everything you want. Well, another cool thing is uh, you're going to be able to say, for example, like like when you get involved with, with uh, Fediments, right? Because those are lightning transactions, right? To open, to sort of like receive the, the mints and, and like, and well, the tokens send and receive them. You're going to have a nice sort of like a, a, a stronghold there on privacy on how you get in and out of this eCash mints. It's uh, so you have a, a private token on eCash going to a privacy focused lightning wallet that then can go to a on-chain transaction, all sort of like contained in your Tesla browser. You know, like it's one of those things, it's like there's a lot of reasons why the technicality makes the magic, but like it is pretty cool and it, and it can bake, it can really make that sort of like magical experience on the browser of like just the stuff just works. You know, you you have an address of that, that would support any kind of thing coming in and any kind of thing going out, right? 
with maybe just a list of transactions and then that's it. It's pretty amazing. I'm, I'm very excited about that. Liana version 0.2. We are going to touch back on some of this stuff, by the way, on the lightning stuff and the Fetty stuff when you get back to when you go down to the news in a little bit. My apologies to the listeners. The, our show notes today are uh, abhorrent. My fault. So Liana version 0.2, now with multisig, the second beta release of Brianna, uh, sorry, Liana. Uh, so Liana is kind of interesting. It's the guys from Revolt. They're trying to do more complex covenant-like things using pre-signed transactions. Liana is not meant for you to put real money at. It's just sort of like a proof of concept. Hopefully, if UpVault gets into Bitcoin, then you're going to see the same functionality that Liana can do, but with on-chain primitives, and that could get very interesting. Breeze, uh, 1.0.18, uh, Neutrino Sync languages, and a few other updates. But the main thing for Breeze is that they launched their SDK. This is very cool. Lightning is very hard. And uh, having Lightning and Bitcoin too... Uh, SDKs for for app devs and web devs to sort of like build on top is kind of a big deal in my view. You can abstract the hard stuff and make sure people don't lose money. And then you can build some really cool business logic on top of that. That sort of like is the value add of your business startup and whatever. So yeah, so the, their new SDK has a signer, an input parser, a lightning node, BTC swap, fiat currencies, and an LSP they have like different sort of packages to handle each part of it. And I think their core SDK is in Rust. So it's all sort of like self-contained for your nightmare phono S of choice. I'll jump in on Breeze. Um, Go ahead. Basically, yeah, through EgoDeath Capital, we invest in Breeze. And so I follow them a little bit more closely, obviously, than some other companies. And I, I do like the work that they're doing to kind of split up the parts of Lightning so that people can focus on the parts they care about. And so, for example, either Open LS, LSP or, you know, the release of their SDK, it allows, you know, different groups to focus on the, the parts that they want to do. So you can, you know, basically add Lightning capabilities to an app without having to reinvent the wheel every time. If you have liquidity to employ, uh, onto the network, uh, it makes that easier to do. Their partnership with uh, Blockstream, uh, I think, is a is a step forward. And so, I, I think that overall, these kind of ways to make the network easier to both build on and interact with, I think, is a really big deal. And I've been, you know, covering Lightning for a few years now, and it's really kind of useful to see it progressing and making it just overall easy to use. Because if something's not easy to use, if it's not easy to build on you know, it's just not going to get used and built on. And so I, I think it's really cool to see a lot of these pieces come together. Uh, what's uh, what's the, the Blockstream partnership? Uh, is it a, a liquidity providing kind of thing or or is it, uh, do they do other technical things there? Uh, they use Greenlight. Okay. So yeah, basically you're, you're abstracting node operation from, you know, control of control of it, right? And so, cool. uh, and that's, you know, just one of the ways that they can add some, basically there's different, different, you know, kind of trade-offs or, or features you can do when you kind of have that model. And so I think that's it's another way to kind of, again, give give people options and make them be able to use the part of the network they care about or, or get exactly the features that they want. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, plus like Lightning is hard. It's hard to develop, it's hard to maintain, it's hard to operate, it's hard to manage, it's hard to liquidity provide. Everything around it is hard. So so like having having people who sort of like, got ahead in some of these activities providing the, the, the underlying technology for, for people to do it is, is, is nice. 
So for, for this SDK, some of the use cases that they're providing on, on, their, on their release here was uh, streaming payments for streaming content. So pod streaming and value for value stuff, monetizing social media. Uh, I don't know if they integrated Zaps yet, but I hope they do soon if they haven't. Oh, no, actually they have. Yes, you can pay Zaps from, uh, um, from Breeze and they do work uh, because I've been using it and I forgot. So on Nostra, you can do your Zaps. In-game currencies, cross-border remittances, uh, disintermediation uh, of P2P payments and fintech. Blixed, added ability to restore uh, with passphrase, uh, the ability to change language, uh, and a bunch of bug fixes. MyNode, version 0.3.1, ability to swap versions of Bitcoin, ability to run Bitcoin or disrespecter. <laughs> so this is great. One of my biggest pet peeves with uh, uh, a node in the box distribution is essentially the easy part of letting the user just run without picking a Bitcoin core version and set of features. Uh, this is an issue because choosing Bitcoin core versions and which settings you have on or off is you uh, informing the network what Bitcoin should be and what Bitcoin is, right? So you are an economic node and say, for example, you're running for RBF, you're not running for RBF. You know, are you choosing a pre-segwit version of Bitcoin Core? You know, all these things influence on what Bitcoin is and, and how Bitcoin moves forward. So uh, having the users have at least the ability of changing things is kind of a big deal. I, I think it's like the minimum that you need to offer. Because uh, otherwise, you are essentially telling the network what these users are supposed to think Bitcoin is. That could have been Bitcoin Cash. So that's kind of a big deal. Uh, running Bitcoin or Disrespector is kind of funny. I think it's idiotic. Uh, it's kind of pointless and it doesn't really do anything. But it's it's great that people have choices. I wonder if they added uh, the full mempool RBF, which is like the other side of or disrespector of like, you know, change your mempool policy to. I, I don't know. I imagine if they're doing the or disrespect, I imagine you can probably turn on because it's off by default for RBF on core, mm -hmm. which is unfortunate. Should have been off on by default. But anyways, Jam, web interface for joint markets. Uh, this is really cool. I'm a big fan of joint markets. It's a mixing service or not service. It's a mixing protocol uh, for Bitcoin that uses markets instead of centralized uh, coordinators. The volume does change often. It's, you know, you could have a lot of volume there. You could have very little volume there. But if you're interested in being a market maker for Bitcoin mixing, it's a great little interface for you to use. <clears throat> and you can make a buck. Keeper. Version 1.0.1, now Trezor and Bitbox to support. Change density of the QR if camera is not able to scan. See, everybody's bumping to the QR density issue because of bad standards. Import multi-sig using configurable details, output descriptors, and BSMS. It's very cool to, to see support, more support for that. I've been an uh, uh, output descriptor pusher for a long time. Uh, I actually need to update. It's outputdescriptors.org. I think uh, we, we only had like a handful there. It seems like a lot of more people are adding. BSMS is also nice. It's hard to implement in the actual hardware wallets because it's a lot of code. So it's easier on the client wallets. We do hope to have it on cold card at some point soon. It's in development. 
Yeah, I actually for forgot that feature uh, earlier. So you added it as well, right? Yeah, yeah. So you can uh, export after you, for example, import your cold card into Sparrow. You can now export the de details um, in a BM BSMS format. But I'm, I must admit that the hardware wallet support uh, is still very thin. I think we have to start somewhere, though. It's sort of a chicken and egg. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's basically you can now um, export it and you can set up a remote multi-sig. So you can send that off to someone else, somewhere else in the world, and they can then pull that in. And, uh, you know, between you, you can all create a wallet and then, uh, you know, move, move forward. So I think that it is an important use case. Um, definitely the remote multi-sig wallet setup is something that does happen um, and hopefully in future hardware wallets will support it because you know what we have right now is basically a less secure method i don't mean to say that it's going to set up a bad wallet i just mean to say that all of the checks that were written into the spec we don't quite have the hardware wallet support for them yet so for example the final bsms export once you've created the wallet actually has the first address in the wallet the first receive address and the idea is that you then import that into a hard, hard, hardware wallet, which then checks to see whether that address is correct. It sort of looks at its own seed and says, yes, I would have created the same thing given the other signers. So I think that there's sort of levels here, um, but hopefully we can get to the, the sort of ultimate level that would that would be good but for now you can still um in sparrow and it looks like in keeper as well still uh, import those bsms files and uh, set up your multi-sig wallet remotely so uh, i'll give a little bit of background so people understand so th there is a few problems right that were sort of like difficulties with multi-sig one is how how do you back up and how do you how do you set up the quorum right how do you set up the script and how do you share those XPUBs with each other all without having a, a guy in the middle trying to, to fuddle with things or to leak privacy? And uh, this was years ago. When we launched CodeCard, we, we wanted a way for people to create secure multi-sig quorums, right? So between, but you know, like if you're not doing multi-vendor, it's easier because we can make decisions. So between code cards, you can create a multi-sig quorum without a computer securely. Right. We do that like very, very tightly, but there wasn't a lot of interest from uh, hardware vendors uh, to do any of this stuff. And also people have different opinions and sort of like different hardware limitations. So between Hugo, so Nunchuck, uh, Shift Crypto and us, Coinkite, we created this BSMS standard as a means of creating a quorum, right? And sharing that information and having all the details that you need to recover a multi-sig wallet, aside from the private keys. And the main challenge with BSMS is that the standard is, is okay, but the amount of, of code you have to write on the embedded system to support it, it's, it's quite extensive. And it touches every part of the possible money losing operations. So I, I think we were hoping that eventually the client software starts to support it. And there is sort of like client software on client software sort of starting to, to play with it to validate the idea so that once like we see, okay, fine, the market wants this, then we go in and put the effort into touching a lot of code that's dangerous to touch to implement this on the hardware side. On the output descriptor side, it was a bit easier uh, and that, that was already supported. And it's kind of nice to see some, some hardware wallets supporting now. And, and I think output descriptors will be superseded by Miniscripts, fortunately and unfortunately. Uh, so we'll see how that plays out.
Blockstream Jade, uh, 0.1.43, facilitate BIP39 passphrase, add option to calculate final word, support sign message via QR, add wallet logout option. So that's cool. It's nice to see more signing of messages. You kind of like, maybe you can sign your message before you can sign your file before you send it to the code card with addresses to deposit. There's a lot of sort of like interesting interplay that could happen in the future with hardware wallet supporting proper uh, Bitcoin message signing. Seed Signer version 0.6.0. So they launched their uh, their Seed Signer OS. Uh, that's that's a nice uh, upgrade. It's one less layer that was sort of like uh, very complex and and full of stuff that was unrelated. Next is, for them, we'd love to see is uh, an open firmware implementation so that we don't have to trust the, the stuff from Broadcom. Single multi-sig receive address explorer, uh, BIP-85 deterministic seed derivation. It's also nice to see people adding BIP-85. Uh, support for paying to taproot. Compact seed QR now enabled by default. More responsive QR dismissal and microSD removal and a few other little things. Uh, very nice. Cashew version 0.9.3. Pay to Noster, NIP5 support. Cashew is really cool. It's another eCash implementation where uh, the mint is not multi-sig. It's just a single minter. I just love the speed in which Kale, I can never say his name, Kali is like advancing with this. It's a super cool project. It helps validate the eCash solution for like the, the improvement of the custodial solutions with privacy. It's very cool. I'll be version 1.27.0. So they added a, a new uh, signed Schnort function. They added Zaps. Zaps is, uh, what is it, NIP57 on Noster. It's just a, a standard on how to send a Noster note with Lightning on it or Lightning invoice with it. Bitcoin stablecoin wallet. So, uh, by the way, Albi is a browser wallet. It's a, it's a browser extension. It is surprisingly good to the extent that a browser extension can be due to the limitations of the browser. These guys are, are doing like really, really good work. Fountain version 0.6.4. Search editorial, new search page design, which allows listeners to browse selection of noteworthy podcasts. Are you guys uh, using Fountain to listen or, or any other Pod 2.0 app to listen or to stream sats? I experimented with it when I went on a podcast that used it. I haven't dove into it enough personally. We're going to add you to the splits. <laughs> uh, ben? I, I've, uh, I've barely tried it. I don't really listen to podcasts anymore, so it's hard. But uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, don't know. I, I hear you. Uh, Craig, uh, I haven't used it yet, but I need need to. It's it's on the list to try. It's uh, it, it's it seems kind of silly that like people are going to be interested in doing this sort of like sending some sats and, but it, it is surprisingly fun and and uh, and there's quite a people using it. We get a lot of boostagrams, which are essentially messages with lightning on it. All right, uh, Dama's version one point one point zero. Uh, Will has been pushing hard on Damas. Uh, this is the latest version that's actually on the store. Uh, so now it supports apps and uh, you can customize the apps. I think 
Noster is probably now the biggest use of Lightning, uh, volume-wise and transaction count-wise. It's, it's absolutely insane. Mr. Jack got a little overexcited last night, and uh, and he was uh, tipping everybody uh, one million sats. And I have absolutely no clue of how many of those he sent, but he were a lot. So so there was some action there. I don't think Lightning has seen that kind of volume ever. And and it stood it stood the test. I mean, like my wallet did not break. Uh, I've been zapping people like a maniac for the last couple of weeks and uh, never had any issues. So uh, good, good on Albi and, and Breeze, which were the two that I use for it. Have you guys been playing? I've been using Albi with Noster. Um, I, I've been liking that whole setup. It's, it's really convenient. Yeah, I've been loving it. I've been zapping a bunch, but I think like maybe by transaction count, it's like highest. It's like boosting lightning a bunch, but definitely not by volume because like no? these are like little like you know thousand sat payments versus like I don't know, dude. I sent thirteen thousand sats as my default. Like, is the leets? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, people, people, like, I get, like, 50k sats, 100k sats all the time, too. Like, That's awesome. Yeah, it, it's, it's kind of interesting, right? Because, like, Lightning is both visible and also not visible, right? I, I mean, depending on what kind of node people are using, like, you know, it could be completely off-grid in terms of, like, analytics out there. What's the best way so far to find out volume in lightning uh you can't really i mean like people will like do like uh you can see like the total public capacity of channels but like that's only a fraction of like all lightning and then i don't know then like you know wall satoshi and people like that will report their transaction counts and stuff that's probably the best estimation we have it's kind of hard because it's built to be private so yeah it's kind of funny right like it, it it's like hardware wallets. Like people, people are like, okay, how do you know if your product's successful? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> I cannot tell how much money people put on my product, right? Like it's a very weird sort of like new world as privacy improves. You're going to have to just use like personal heuristics and, and sort of like some consumer research, but you're, you're not going to be able to get data anymore, right? I mean, and, and if we're successful, it's going to be even less data. The more successful we are, the less data we're going to have. <laughs> It's it's strange because like how do you invest in companies? How do you like how how do you justify you know advertising or whatever? Uh, like all these things were sort of done traditionally with stats on volume and count and whatever, right? It's uh, it's an interesting new world out there. I, I I've been tracking lightning for a while and it's tricky because um, as was said, things like public capacity are very flawed metrics. Uh, you can put it on one chart, but it's very flawed. So far, the best research I've seen is like when basically one you know one big node operator basically shows what they're doing. So whether it's River, you know, while Satoshi releases numbers, um, there's Arcane Research. I forget who they partner with, but they partner with some and, and they kind of do, they've done two versions now of these like state of the lightning network reports that are very detailed. And it's kind of like what River did where, you know, they'll, they'll open the lid on like, you know, this section of the network that they can see and talk about some of the metrics. So you get things like velocity, you know, how, how much, you know, given a amount of capacity, how much actual throughput or transactions are going through both in terms of volumes and numbers. So basically it's like, it's like you see little parts of it, but because it's actually you know, pretty, pretty decentralized and private, you actually can't really see the whole, the whole thing. You can only kind of focus in on little parts of it. You know, like having big numbers helps adoption, right? Because it gives like media something to write about. They like to see numbers and charts. 
I wonder if to help our case, but not destroy privacy, if there is like ways that maybe like we come up with some standards for signing, essentially like signing your volume somehow. So you can kind of show the volume anonymously. That could be very interesting. Maybe uh, maybe that's a Tony project, <laughs> Ben, coming up with very clever ways of sharing volume and anonymized data on this so that we can sort of like keep the market engaged into sort of like investing <laughs> in like lightning projects and things because uh, you will get harder, right? I mean, unlike hardware wallets, which I can sort of like show, hey, this is how much harder I shipped. It's going to be much harder to to show like a, a market opportunity size to uh, uh, to the market. Yeah, that's just for like someone like Breeze we were talking about earlier with their SDK. It'll be really hard for them because it's like, this they'll like have some other company use their SDK like we have no idea what they're doing kind of thing so you know it gets even harder there so it'll be interesting hey Craig uh when do we see you on Noster Zappy I'm there I'm there are you I couldn't I find am. your uh, your handle there I follow you <laughs> I couldn't man I'm completely like in uh I've bankrupt my notifications there, you know, like I don't even try to go back too far to check. So I uh, know I'll, I'll look for it for you again. Uh, maybe we do a little exchange of, uh, of keys uh, uh, off channel. But yeah, okay, so that's cool. Do you see anything that might be interesting for Sparrow to do with uh, Lightning or Noster in some way? You know, I've I've kind of just watching the network grow and evolve, and obviously I I sort of use it. Um, so I, I spend time, you know, doing all the things that is required for managing your own node. Um, and yeah, it's it's still as you were saying earlier, still hard. It's still hard to do all of these things. So I'm I'm not yet feeling uh, that the time is right. Uh, to bring it into Sparrow, if that is ever a good good idea, it's kind of just an open question in my mind. Um, you know, I guess we'll we'll see. Uh, I'm going to keep an open mind and see how it, how it goes. But right now, I think there's enough things uh, with supporting Layer One, enough work to do to there that I'm quite happy to keep trucking along and kind of be a Lightning user, um, but not necessarily a dev. But yeah, we'll see. I feel yeah. It's like you know, we want to play with lightning. We want to build things in Noster. Like there's just so much to do, and you know, like you can't do everything. I think, for example, Electrum shouldn't have added lightning <laughs> to the main implementation because it created like this massive extra package in their in their software that made it hard. But uh, but yeah, it's nice to see that that you're sort of like paying attention to it. Okay. Torque, a node management tool for large lightning network nodes. Oh, that's cool. I don't use it. I don't know much about it. If you guys do, chime in. If not, I'll move on. Fedimint mining pools. Oh, so this is super cool. I can't wait for this to happen. So lightning pool operators have a massive problem, right? Like how do you distribute the loot? And how do you do that privately? And, and how do you do that fairly, provably? And how do you manage a bunch of tiny UTXOs, right? Because like it's it's like it's super super tiny payments, unless you let the the mining operator collect a bigger amount before they do payouts. And this uh, federated mining pools using Fediment eCash resolves a lot of those problems, where because of the the smallest unit on eCash is infinite, 
so that they can actually do the payments uh, and do a lot of the coordination and provability of the fairness of the payments using this sort of like, for lack of word, a side chain to do this. This is one of the most sort of exciting things I see for, for uh, Fediments coming up. Justin and team have been sort of like quiet heads down getting some work done now, but hopefully I, I can get him and Kali and Eric to come over and do uh, a panel sort of exploration on, on eCash. For the people that don't know, eCash came be much before Bitcoin. It's like a project of the 80s by David Chaum. So yeah, so that's a very cool project. Keep an eye on it. We have a link uh, to the to the proposal and stuff on the show notes. Ablet not news. Uh, this was a, a bounty that I put out. I wanted to have a Noster replacement for stock, for a sub stock and for medium. It uses a long form kind. I think it's kind eighty, kind twenty three. No, kind of thousand something. Can't remember now. But uh, essentially, you have a censorship resistant broadcast method for uh, long form posts, right? So instead of using a blog or instead of using a sub stack, you push your, your long form kind notes there and, and they help coordinate all that stuff. The notes live in relays. Abla has no control over that. And as more clients support long form notes, this has a lot of legs and you can add comments. Comments are automatic because you're just adding a note to a note and uh, you can transport all your access to your data to different clients. This makes me very bullish that, you know, if, uh, if, a, if a politician in a major country decides to say, hey, you can't publish anymore on Substack, you can right now have a solution for it. This exists, it's working, and it's impressive. So uh, awesome to see. Uh, if people want to post bounties for Noster projects, uh, bount, sir, bountsr.org just just make a pull request there at, at your bounty folks are sort of taking them and, and making it happen it's uh it's pretty cool the speed of development there is fast and furious have have you have you guys played this abla.news yet i just had a look at it now yeah it's early days but it looks pretty cool <laughs> it's just so many, like, I mean, between Lightning, Nostra, Bitcoin, like, I kind of feel like a, I might need to spin off like a few versions of this show because like, it, it, it's just like, it's out of control. One good thing, though, is uh, it prevents us from wasting time with politics and other useless stuff because there's just too many awesome things to talk about. All right. Uh, any other project updates from software that I might have missed here, guys? None that I can think of. All right, so we'll move on to Project Spotlight. If anything comes to mind, just just let us know. Oh wait, there there was one. Sorry, I've yes. forgotten. Uh, it is um, what is the name of it? Um, uh, there was a new uh, forty seven implementation, the first one on iOS that came out. Um, oh, okay, yeah. So so, did you want to give a primer on BIP uh, BIP uh, forty seven? Just just a very short one. Yeah, sure. So basically, BIP 47 is a is a layer one way which you can publish a static code. So, you know, not a Bitcoin address, but rather something we call a 
payment code. You can put that anywhere. You can put it on a placard as you walk down the sort of street. And anyone with a BIP47 capable wallet can then pay you in a private manner. So if you put a Bitcoin address on that placard, then you will find that everyone can see how much money was sent to you. But if you use BIP47, they, they can't, right? And I think that that's quite an important and useful thing for us in the world today. You know, obviously, if we can all run a node, Lightning node, then, you know, that's a very easy way to do it. But there are many people in this world who cannot run servers. And to be able to just create a BIP47 payment code is for them, I think, a much easier way to, or much more private way, I should say, to be able to receive. So it's really nice to see that BIP47 is coming to iOS. It was the sort of the platform that was unserved for a long time. It's coming on a wallet called Stack Wallet, which is a multi-coin wallet. Uh, so not probably the stuff we would usually talk talk about here. But nevertheless, great that people who have iPhones now have an option and uh, can both send and receive uh, with BIP47. So good times. Very cool. Uh, we'll add to the notes uh, so people know where to download it. And now to the boost parts, guys. Thanks, uh Thanks for contributing and thanks for the the notes. Uh, it's a lot of fun to uh, to get those notes coming streaming into to my Lightning uh, wallet. So purple, oh purple at elef elephant, <laughs> two hundred fifty thousand sats. Best one yet. Ordinals and inscriptions show. Thanks, Eric ninety nine. Uh, stay humble, stack sats. JC Denton, absolutely fantastic pod with a great panel. I learned a lot. Thank you. Absolutely great episode from Michael Matu Leaf. Thank you, sir. Law of Bitcoin, appreciate you. I appreciate you back. Ape, Myth, and Deer. Double boost. Op Vault makes security good. Also, shout out to Stack Wallet for being the first uh, uh, wallet to offer PayNIMS on iOS. Timely, because we discussed that on this show. Uh, Tom there bc zen i can listen to nvk talk all day keep it up great show it's funny because um the handles don't come with cases right uppercase uh so it, it's surprisingly hard to read out the names out of the the names but i try guys i try so project spotlight ben uh, do you wanna do you wanna brief us on blaster and uh, bitcoin walia yeah, um, Blaster's like a little Nostra thing we did at Mutiny. Uh, if you guys saw our wait list, like basically we had the option to sign up with Nostra and we'd like DM you, like welcome to the wait list and stuff. And in doing that, we kind of like built this little tool to like send to a bunch of relays like using um, Cloudflare's like queuing system. So it's like super cheap. And uh, basically I realized that we could turn this into like its own kind of version of a Nostra relay. So what it does is basically if you... If you add it to your list of relays, it'll you can't receive events from it, but when you send events, it'll send it to like 300 different relays. So it's kind of a way to like just blast any of your stuff um, to like all of Noster, which like for like notes and stuff, it's not too useful. But we found like a lot of people like using it for things like uh, their like profile updates and their follows. So like that makes sure it's everywhere, so like everyone can see it and you don't like lose it from like switching between clients. And it's doing like I think yesterday we did like fifteen thousand events, so we're doing like, nice. like a, we're doing like a few percent of like 
all of Nasser events, which is pretty cool. Very um, nice. So hopefully the spammers haven't found it, but uh, it seems like it's going pretty well. Nice. And Bitcoin Walia? Yeah, this is a thing that we're like, like with like me and you, it's going to be Lightning and OnChain and the you know, there's like, there's now like 15 different like kind of things you can scan with the QR code now and it's Bitcoin that like you might be able to pay. So we kind of just made a tool that like combines all those things and just kind of tells you what it is. So it's uh, like Bitcoin, what am I looking at? So if it, if it gives you an address or like a BIP21 URI or you know a lightning address, anything like that, you can scan it and it'll like get, give you all the individual parts. Like if it's a BIP21 URI, URI you could like do like dot address and it'll give you the address. If it has an invoice, you can do like dot invoice, it gives you the invoice. Stuff like that to try to make it easy for us to decode without having to like create all this custom logic somewhere and then have to copy paste it into a different project. Try to make it like a universal project for everyone. Very nice. Checkmessage.org, I, I sort of mentioned, is just a little project for people to be able to properly check Bitcoin signatures. It works with Taproot as well. Rust Code Card Interface Project, the name of the maintainer, Alfred. Alfred created this uh, Rust library to talk to uh, Code Card. Uh, that's that's nice. Labelbase.space. It's a label management service for Bitcoin transaction addresses. Craig, do you have any any knowledge of this project? Yeah, so um, I am aware of it. Um, uh, it. I haven't had a detailed look yet, but uh, basically the idea is that you can um, use it as an online store, an encrypted online store, in the same way that you might have a password manager, which kind of um, allows you to enter passwords and get those passwords and sync passwords around so you can do the same with your labels across different wallets once obviously those wallets integrate so i think the idea is very very cool it's certainly an idea that's been around for a long time uh, if uh, some some of you might remember that there was an plugin for electrum called the labels plugin which yep. uh, had similar sort of ideals but this one is built on BIP329, which we mentioned earlier. So it's a standards-based thing, and it's sort of just much more modern in terms of the way that it handles all of the authentication. Um, it looks very, very cool. I mean, it's it's really only been around for about a month now, but certainly on my list to have a better look look at and hopefully build something in Sparrows that we can you know use it and be able to talk to it and people can sync labels is it end-to-end -end decrypted the notes so that you don't leak any privacy issues to this website i'm actually not a hundred percent sure okay. yet but you know i know that the dev is def definitely you know very aware of all of the pit pit pitfalls and you know if there are any issues i'm sure that they can be resolved so yeah i'm quite bullish on this one uh cool lnsat.me it's a lightning address with different names and connect them to directly to your node. That's cool. It's probably like a lightning proxy website, I imagine. Turing Pay, full API solution to let merchants off and online to receive Bitcoin payments in real time and free forever. BIP324. I kind of wanted to just bring this to people's attention because it's sort of like really moving. It's, a, it's, a, it's an awesome BIP. It's a much needed BIP. Maybe we do like a whole sort of episode on this. It's essentially a good peer-to-peer -peer way of having encrypted communication between Bitcoin nodes. Right now, Bitcoin nodes are not talking to each other in an encrypted manner. Uh, so it's very easy to intercept. It's very easy to 
to uh, to try to change the data. It's very easy to highlight the data in your sort of like company's firewall. It's not good. It's uh, right now what we have is very pedestrian. So like this, this is a much, much needed upgrade to the Bitcoin peer to peer communication, uh, especially for miners, if we don't want them to get shot in places where it's kind of dangerous for them. So BIP324.com is a good place to start. The BIP is is a number assigned and it's getting a lot of conversation on it. It's very cool. Are you guys sort of following BIP324? Yeah, I've been following it for a bit. I think it's, like you said, yeah, it's pretty awesome. Like, I know they're doing a lot of like really fancy stuff. Like, you know, they didn't have to use like uh, SecP256K1 for like the encryption, but they did just be so like, you know, there's no... Uh, new cryptographic assumptions or anything. And some of the stuff they're doing is like something called like shaping where you can like, you could make it look like this, the bytes you're sending are like a different protocol. So you could like have your Bitcoin node look like it's just, you know, like a Skype call or something. So kind of cool the stuff they're like doing there. It's uh, it's very important work as the world gets more complicated. BitKnob launches virtual dollar card. I, I don't know too much about this project, but uh, I wanted to add here to the notes in case you guys do. So uh, please uh, let me know. Okay, so we're going to go now into the news and noteworthy stuff. Part of the show, guys. We, we've uh, we've survived the software updates and uh, Lynn's still here. Um, <laughs> why don't we go over some of the stuff? I, I think that the first one there, the, the Breeze Open LSP model, Maybe, maybe Lynn, you have some some thoughts on that. It's uh, it's a much needed service. Yeah, we touched on that before. Basically, Breeze breaking up the different components of Lightning so people can focus on things they care about. And so, basically, this is a way to try to get more liquidity into the network by people that you know pools of capital that have Bitcoin. They want to earn a yield on it without going into you know lending and all that kind of thing. And so, by providing liquidity, they can get into it. And Breeze is basically basically makes it easier to, you know, use, you, you can use their software, you can tie it into their ecosystem, and it makes it, uh, it lowers the barrier of entry between, you know, people that want to earn yield on their Bitcoin and actually actually make that happen. So I'm a little skeptical on the economics of LSPs, like in the future. I know now it doesn't matter, right? I mean, now we're just sort of like going to pay to make it happen kind of thing. The opportunity cost for the capital at rest, really, right? Because the, like, LSPs essentially just holding a bunch of Bitcoin at rest and uh, and at risk, right? Because those funds are hot. So you know, I know us as Bitcoiners, you know, like don't don't want yield and you know put in cold storage and all that stuff. That works great for us, but you know, institutional capital out there, especially institutional, wants to see returns on capital at rest, right? Like they they want like the 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 count number must go up as opposed to the number go up only. And uh, I'm curious, like what your thoughts are on, you know, like would there be enough interest paid, right, on that capital at risk to one, justify the risk of those funds being live and, and two, uh, you know, maybe they do something else with the money, right? Uh, uh, just the opportunity cost on that capital is, uh, question is interesting to me. Yeah, no, I think it's a good set of questions. I think at this early phase, right, that the, the amounts of capital that we're talking about are not super big uh, in many cases. And I think you one is when you actually combine the liquidity, you know, like not an independent one, but they're actually, you know, trying to build it out. So for example, they want to 
you know, they want to make another app work, and so they want to provide liquidity for it. That that's I think that's a an economic model that's going to be around for a while. The question is whether pure independent liquidity service providers make sense. I think it's a, a generally safer model than what the other. You know, there's like this strong knee jerk reaction for yield everywhere, and I think that's a safer model than some of the rest. So I, I think in that context, it's damage control, and there is demand for it. And it's like, okay, instead of going into that, if you want yield, at least going in, into this, because you're actually simultaneously earning some yield, and you're uh, ideally making the network easier to use. And so you're basically, your yield's actually going for a good purpose rather than, you know. To be shorting Bitcoin. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's not going to, yeah, casino purposes and kind of even working against you. So it actually, it's a way to earn yield while also strengthening the network, which I think in the early phase, the network makes sense. Um, I think the bigger the network gets, the more it just becomes a pure economic question because no one feels like there's a, at that, at that point, no one feels like there's a dearth of liquidity, for example, if there's already plenty of liquidity. And so I, I think it's, it's early on in the process still. And breaking this out and giving people the options lets us see what works. And uh, in Roy's latest article, he had a, a really good chart showing basically how velocity, like how velocity compares to, you know, the interest rate you can earn, right? Which as you'd expect, basically the more throughput you have in a chattel, uh, it's it's a pretty linear relationship with how much yield you're yearning. It's basically a, a signal for you whether or not you're deploying your liquidity well or not. And so I, I think it's a useful part of the network. I don't have a strong view of how large it's going to get. And I think that the what makes sense in one era of the network could make you know less sense or more sense in a different era of the network. But I do think it makes sense at, at this kind of early, early phase of the network where liquidity is still, you know, tight in many cases. Well, you know, reality is, right? I mean, if we're doing, you know, visa level transactions on Lightning, we're going to need a ton of capital, you know, like in this, this LSPs, like, I mean, like crazy amounts of Bitcoin are going to have to be in these. So ideally, like there'll be enough demand and enough uh, uh, value on those transactions, value add, right? So that it can justify the cost of that capital to, to be there. I find that sort of economic question very interesting. It's it's like I can see the demand will be there. I don't. I, I don't see how the economics pay for that demand. Uh, like I, I. I don't know if it will be an equilibrium there, but the demand is. So so like somebody's gonna try to to make it happen. I don't know. Maybe maybe they'll do more esoteric stuff with the DLCs and try to find extra pay somehow to to justify the capital being there. Uh, but yeah, the the liquidity part of Lightning is. Uh, one of the most sort of like one of the hardest problems I think there'll be and, and one of the, the most interesting things on how people solve. I agree. Wallets of Satoshi processed over 1,500,000 lightning payments last week. Yeah, that's Noster. <laughs> BTC Pay Server adds Wasabi Wallet Coin Joint Coordination Protocol for all merchants. That's pretty cool. It's nice. It's like fully integrated with the merchant system. Uh, it's nice to see privacy like as as integral part of things, you know, trade-offs with Wasabi Wallet uh, as they are sort of like uh, regulated and they do have chain analysis on on the on there. But you know, this is using a different coordinator. They set up their own, so that you don't oh. have any of those problems. And then they're also donating all the fees to HRF and OpenStats. That is pretty cool. So then there you go. I mean, there really is uh, very little criticism there towards this solution. 
what else? Uh, Fedi Mint Hackathon winners, uh, first place. Well, I'm not going to go through them, but uh, any any one of these that you guys want to talk about? I think the first place one is pretty awesome. The stability pool stuff. Do you want to do you want to give a I think we actually had a little discussion about that at the Nashville Bit Devs. I remember now. Yeah. Uh, ben, yeah. Do you want to do you want to talk a little bit about this? It's pretty yeah. cool. And so I guess for a little context, when they released this, Justin's a good friend of mine. So I was like, how would I win first place in this? And he's like, you got to build a stable coin thing on top of Fediment. And then uh, I didn't build this, but someone did a basically a stable coin kind of thing on top of Fediment. So it kind of lets people like either propose to go short or long Bitcoin, but you're holding Bitcoin. So you either go like even or leverage long and uh, basically kind of lets you like mock a stable coin on top of uh, Fediment. And uh, I don't know, it's pretty cool. Like the idea is like, uh, I was talking to some people and they're like, oh, they'll just like go leverage long here on the Fediment and then like on some centralized exchange, like cover themselves so they're not just like naked long. Other people are like, oh, just you know, screw it. I'll take the risk. I'm pretty bullish Bitcoin. It'll work out anyways. But yeah, you get like a fee for it and stuff. And uh, I think it's pretty cool. Like it'll kind of lets you have like Fediment be this, not just a Bitcoin kind of uh, thing, but it lets it be for like any kind of use case uh, can now be built on top of it. Because, you know, if you don't care about Bitcoin, you can still just hold dollars and then still do all the cool Fediment stuff. So I think my criticism at the the at the meetup was that, uh, you know, like both sides of the bet are holding the same asset on the same asset market dynamics with an extremely volatile asset, which is Bitcoin. Like I, it's just, it's hard for you to hide if you're using the same asset as the collateral. (laughs) So like, I'm just, my curiosity there goes into like, how, how do they solve some of those problems where it's something that they are not addressing yet? Yeah. I mean, like if Bitcoin went to zero, like, yeah, you're both wrecked, but uh, <laughs> uh, I think like in in the paper it says like it can handle up to like a 75% draw with, within like 10 minutes or something. So it's supposed to be pretty dynamic, but I don't know exactly how all that works. We had an 85% draw for longer than uh, than 15 minutes. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, but listen, it, this is, I guess, the, the kind of stuff that it's too early for them to address. I'll make a broader point about the hackathon as a whole. I think it's it, it shows the flexibility of that protocol. Basically, by having that modular design, you know, basically anyone, like, you know, when when this is kind of out in the wild, more people can set up a, people can set up a fediment. You could keep it really simple and just have eCash, or you can add all these extra modules, all these extra features that people build, almost like you know, like an app store. Or like, you know, anyone that runs like WordPress, there's all these different plugins you can do to like customize your website. Fediments are kind of going in that direction. And that, one, it eliminates kind of debates about what it should be like. Because, okay, you have this really basic like backbone and then, you know, anyone can have their own type of Fediment. Some of these other ones that are not near the top, like the the other uh, hackathon winners were like storage, little storage apps and things like that. Because one of the the cool things about a, a federation like this is that it can serve as like a hub for like a, a community in a, in a developing country and it can it can serve as like small file uh, repository it can serve as i mean it could run like a noster relay you know you could have like the, the same community that's running the fediment can run like a noster relay there's kind of like it almost is a hub for the community to kind of organize around some of their technical stuff which is especially in in areas where 
less hardware access, uh, less bandwidth access. Uh, it's a way of kind of sharing resources together. You also touched earlier on the on the Fetty pool idea, and you know when you hear statistics like how many Nigerians or how many Argentinians, for example, are using you know Bitcoin, stablecoins, things like that. One of the downsides is that a lot of that's happening on places like Binance, right? So when you hear like these these really big adoption statistics, it's kind of tempered by the fact that a lot of people just have counts on these gigantic international honeypots. And the question is, okay, how can you take that enthusiasm, but then break it up into smaller and more private chunks uh, that are more local and that are more, you know, maybe aligned with the community? And so that that's that's part of why I find this this technology so interesting. Well, I, I mean, you know, the, the 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 thing that like Bitcoin and Lightning, you have a hard time is like, you know, scale with like 8 billion people who don't have a lot of money. Right. Exactly. And, you know, like the smallest sat, you know, in Bitcoin, it's still like going to be hard to to subdivide, you know, in Lightning for, for you to scale to all these people. Once you draw this out, really out right into billions of people, like we're going to, we're going to need like this, this extremely sort of like separate monetary solutions like eCash, at least in my view. Right. And what's cool about it is that eCash didn't work, didn't happen before because Bitcoin didn't exist. There was no, no good source of, of like censorship resistant in and on, off and on ramps and sources of truth, right? Like you couldn't anchor anything in a place where you can find some truth in a decentralized environment and the Fedbin stuff and the cashew and, and all this sort of solutions kind of like really, the stars are aligning for a cash to happen. And, you know, <laughs> poor people need something that is cheaper than a sat <laughs> at scale. Yeah, I think it, it scales both private, privately and effectively in those types of markets. And then even even if you're in a market where, I mean, you, you it's, it's not like a, in competition with, say, a hardware wallet. Because, for example, you might want like a Fediment wallet as your spending wallet, your private in and out lightning and 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 things like that and then if, it, if the balance gets too big you pull it into something that's a, a different you know a different custody model like self-custody and things like that and so I, I think it's it's a useful layer that's I'm, I'm hopeful to see it you know roll out and be reasonably well adopted you know I, I've said it many times like hardware wallets don't belong in people's pockets it belongs in the safe somewhere else People shouldn't carry the private keys to real money, nor information about the Bitcoins with them either. So like, don't have, you know, a, your big pile watch only wallet on your phone because, you know, somebody could force you to display that. And if bad guys don't know how much you have or where you have it, it's already a huge security improvement, right? On top of not having access to the keys, because if they know, then they might beat you into they find where the private keys are. So, so yeah, don't put your hardware wallets in your pockets and carry them around. Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, spending money on apps is, is the way to go. And uh, Craig, I actually have a very, uh, uh, you know, I'm not going to put you on the spot, of course, but a very selfish uh, request here for uh, Sparrow. I'd love to have a, a e-cash uh, wallet, uh, very rudimentary and very sort of unfeaturedful. Uh, that is desktop base of Sparrow's caliber. So uh, if you ever find a time and you're interested in just sort of like adding an extra tab there so I can send and receive eCash, it would be uh, much appreciated. 
Sure. I'll, I, I, to be honest, I haven't spent a lot of time looking at the eCash thing. I'll have to dive into it more and uh, try and under- understand how, what that would look like. So, yeah, um, heard. <laughs> if you're ever looking for features, something to do, because <laughs> there isn't enough to do. Uh, no, true. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, Nasser Mobile Clients, Nozzle, Daisy, Amethyst. So like Nasser is now lots of clients around. I guess I should mention I closed the BitcoinHackers.org Mastodon and now uh, redirects to a goodbye note and uh, information on how to get into Nostr. Mastodon is a shitcoin, is a terrible protocol. ActivityPub is a disaster. It's just centralization uh, into new benevolent dictators. It's essentially a collection of feudalists. Uh, <laughs> and uh, anyways, overall really bad. So if, you, if you're curious of why and where and what happened to bitcoinhackers.org, uh, just go to the domain and there'll be a little explanation there. It was fun while it lasted and then it wasn't fun anymore. Kala Africa announced strategic partnership with Noro. Noro, okay, that's cool. Go is to educate next wave of Bitcoin Lightning developers across Africa. That's good to see. Kashu tutorial by BTC Sessions. If you're trying to understand what the fuck we're talking about in regards to eCash, go see that tutorial. Once you send and receive a few eCash tokens, it becomes a little bit more obvious and a little bit more uh, parsable. Wyoming legislature passes bill to protect Bitcoin private keys from courts. Uh, if you guys want to weigh in, feel free. I'm not sure if there is much to, to talk about on that one. Bitcoin quality assur- Bitcoin Core quality assurance and testing maintainer Marco Falk steps down. I think a lot of core devs just about had it with fake Satoshi trying to sue them for liability in the terrible courts of UK. So... But we, we do need people who, who are full-time on Bitcoin and have deep overview of the whole code base to the extent that you can and remain there for many, many years. So uh, if you're looking to be a Bitcoin maintainer, be a NIM, please. You know, like stop doxing yourself. Just And uh, thank you, Mar- uh, Marco, for uh, putting all these years in. Hey, uh, Craig, how do you feel about uh, maintaining Bitcoin software and liability and issues like that? Ben, too, how, how do you guys feel about that? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I look at this, it's obviously not good news. Um, we're down to four maintainers now, I believe. Um, and what happens if they start to quit? Um, yeah, um, you know, it, I guess where it feels this is going is, is, is we're going to have to see if if this Craig Wright thing is actually the reason we're going to have to see uh, either we're going to end up with no Bitcoin core maintainers or one of them is going to have to stand up to him in court, obviously with, uh, I would hope, the financial backing of uh, a lot of people, but nevertheless, uh, an unpleasant thing to have to go through. And um, I wouldn't wish that on anyone, but it does feel like uh, if this is indeed a real threat, we're going to have to face that threat at some point in some way. So I'm not quite sure how it's going to play out, but uh, yeah, um, I think, you know, it's it's not going to help for people to hide. Ultimately, um, uh, we're going to have to figure it out in some way or form. You know, a lot of people misunderstand what the Bitcoin core maintainer does uh, and the powers that it has and things like that. So 
I highly recommend listening to, I think it was the previous episode. We, we spent two hours explaining how Bitcoin development works so people can have a better understanding. Uh, no, nobody is sort of like a, uh, it, it's, it, they can merge, but it doesn't mean you have to run that software. It doesn't mean it doesn't have scrutinized. They're not like superpower people. They're just very well trusted people to do things so that we can save a little bit of time. And, and they provide incredible feedback because they have very good understanding of the code base. You know, Bitcoin would definitely survive without any maintainer. Like that's not like, you know, it will be less efficient, but it's completely doable. There are funds that help devs fight uh, in court. Uh, so uh, Copa is doing some of that. Uh, OpenSats is doing some of that. There's a lot of private donors that are doing some of that. So I encourage people to not be too afraid. Uh, if you find yourself in that situation, reach out to Bitcoiners and you're going to find that there is money out there to fight the stuff back. So don't, don't be in despair. And you know, maybe like we need, we need more people in, uh, in countries with like better privacy, not privacy, uh, uh, um, better rights and better protections for free speech and things like that to be, to be the maintainers or be a NIM. It's not too hard to be a NIM. Uh, it's it's just, you know, there is trade-offs. But I, I think the future is going to be NIMS and people in countries where, you know, there is more freedom. So the UK is one of the worst places for this. So, yeah, it's bad news, but I think it comes to the territory, right? I mean, it, it's surprising that it took that long for, for people to be attacked through the Fiat Maxi way, which is courts. All right. Uh, Lightning node, LNHub.io, where Blue Wallet provides. Oh, so Blue Wallet is closing down its uh, custodial lightning solution. Also surprising it took that long, but uh, that's a trend we're going to start seeing. And probably eventually any custodial lightning is going to be KYC'd. So uh, something to keep your, your attention to and maybe learn how to do non-custodial lightning. This is good news. Cash App users bought 7.1 billion worth of bitcoin 2022 that's uh that's a bit of cash do you guys have any uh do you guys follow uh squares financial updates or anything like that block former square i mean not really but it's a lot of money it's good to see and and cash app is bitcoin only right uh bitcoin mining uh firms hut eight and uh, us bitcoin corp announced merger well i guess they're not going bankrupt so that's an improvement UK Quartz rules. Craig Wright has no copyright claim on Bitcoin. That's fantastic. Uh, one little win there. Crypto exchange Kraken settles with SEC over unregistered staking services. That was kind of bullshit. Jesse Powell had like an interesting note on this. Do you guys have any comments on, on this? Yeah, the SEC sucks. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it felt like a selective enforcement, right? I mean, like you have all these exchanges doing complete absurd things and then they go after like Kraken, which is a reasonably small exchange compared to others. You know, like they were probably just looking for case law. But then when you have somebody settling, then you don't get case law on the matter. So, uh, so yeah, uh, I highly recommend uh, reading the Bitcoin Magazine article on it. We have yeah, there's been a, there's been a trend recently. The SEC and others going after some of the you know the the actors that are not bad in the space, right? So it's funny that you know Kraken got this, and it's also uh, Custodia Bank, you know, had their application denied, uh, and they you know they were they were trying to be a, a safer way of doing this that, that many other banks are doing, and it's like the ones that kind of 
the ones that were like doing fraud were like not, you know, they were the ones cozying up and, and, you know, getting a lot of the positive attention and the ones that are, you know, I think doing better work are the ones ironically getting slapped around. Yeah, I know it, it's, um, you know, the Fiat maxes don't fight the way Bitcoiners think they do. You know, it's not going to be because they found a, a security issue on Bitcoin course code. What they're going to do is they're going to start FTX. They're going to money laundry through there. They're going to short Bitcoin. They're going to inflate Bitcoin, paper Bitcoin. You know, they're going to do selective enforcement on the good actors. That is their game, right? Like it, 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 it's, uh, it, and, and also they want the bad guys to do better because the bad guys look worse for regulation purposes. You know, if you have good actors having, having licenses, this means they, they lose the capacity of having bad news to, to do legislation over. It's, uh, that's how the Fiat Maxes do it. El Salvador to open a Bitcoin embassy in Texas. Look at that. Bitcoin NFTs protocol ordinal surpasses 100,000 inscriptions. So a lot of JPEGs. Do you, did you, well, we, we did a whole episode on, uh, on inscriptions with Casey and uh, Rindell. And uh, Ben, w w were you there? I can't remember who else was. No, I wasn't there. And uh, I don't know. Do, do you guys have any comments about ordinals or, or are you guys uh, ordinal out? out? Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm curious, uh, you know, I believe that ordinals are around, you know, sort of collecting art and, and, you know, it, it's what I don't see coming out of the ordinals community is much discussion of the actual works themselves. It all just seems to be very much around, you know, um, you know, buying the new thing. Uh, so I'm trying to understand whether there's a genuine, you know, desire for the collectibles and appreciation of them for themselves or whether there's just a greater fool theory at play here. I'm trying to figure that out um, because I'm, I'm genuinely curious, you know, Sparrow was one of the, the first recommended wallets and remains one of the recommended wallets, even though it has no ordinals features. So I, I, I interact with many Ordinals users, um, and I'm I'm really curious to uh, to understand what drives them. Why do they want to get into this? What's their their reason? Um, I don't know if you guys have any sort of um, insights on that, but uh, yeah, I'm not seeing a lot so far that makes me think um, you know that the the the, the sort of arena is uh, is really going to be. I don't know, just built on strong foundations. I mean, like NFTs were a great way for you to uh, <clears throat> mine taxes, tax losses and, and money laundry, like all art, really. Like, I mean, the art market is pretty much that. <laughs> and I think it would be the same. There is generally, there, there's genuine artists trying to to create stuff and, and like interesting, pretty things. The majority of it is crap, of course. What's interesting though is, you know, the art is in a block. The, you know what I mean? The art will live there forever or the crap. And uh, that's an interesting aspect that was not true with the NFTs on Ethereum, right? Like there was like literally a scam, right? Like you're buying a link to Amazon. What Casey did is he did things the Bitcoiner way, right? So like it's actually in there. And I mean, ordinal theory is, is its own sort of like wacko fun thing for some people. Like, I, you know, I'm indifferent to it. It's just it's some number theory on like how you pick which Satoshi owns what. But uh, the inscriptions hack was kind of interesting. It sort of like help us see like side effects that you can have on Bitcoin updates and things. 
I think it opened the eyes of a lot of people on Bitcoin updates. Uh, it could actually have negative effects now because there is updates that we want and, and people might be like very turned off by it because of this stuff. It's also creating a floor price for block space, which is kind of interesting too. We finally have full blocks, right? I mean, the blocks are meant to be full. That's why they make, you know, that's that's how it works. It's it's interesting when when something comes and creates demand for Bitcoin, regardless of, of the reasons and, and, and demand for blocks too. So it's, it's an interesting, tricky subject, but it is interesting nonetheless. Lynn or, or Ben, like, do, do you guys have any opinions on this or just sort of like, kind of like, or do you know that? I mean, I've been following a little bit. I mean, it's all the, the classic thing where one, you know, it, it, it obviously there, there's more people interested in Bitcoin because of it that are, you know, coming out from other ecosystems, some, you know, they, they run nodes. On the other hand, it's, you know, it fills up block space and, you know, can add to, you know, just overall storage requirements and bandwidth and things like that. I think I had one tweet on it and it was just like basically saying, I don't care. Uh, <laughs> I don't find it, I don't find it interesting yet. We'll see if this, it, it, like, I mean, the, the prior NFT spikes were like these fads that, you know, it, it's like people are trading it, they're speculating on it, and then it, it just kind of dies, liquidity goes away. You know, I think we'll see if it's like a year from now, if people are still, you know, really talking about these things at scale. You know, I think that then that could change discussion. But so far, I just, uh, you know, I think it's, it's if people want to have fun with it, sure. Um, there are some trade-offs. And I, I, I think uh, your point, I also noticed too, that essentially that it, it does show how you can have unintended outcomes from updates and that could be good or bad going forward. So I've just so far not really had a strong view on this. It's, it's kind of like a lot of people are trying to build this like monument and then the wall, like the cement's still like fresh. People are like putting their handprints in it and stuff. And it's just kind of, and so of course it's, it's, it's kind of funny seeing people provoked by it, but it's also, you know, there, there are, I can see why some people do get provoked by it because it does have at least around the margin, some consequences. So I, I've been neutral and kind of just focused on other things. Yeah, I think like similar, like, I mean, I don't really care too much. It's just NFTs all over again, but this time on Bitcoin. So, I mean, happy for Casey, his, uh, his ordinals thing took off, like even talking about that for like a year or two. And it's like, it always just seems like a weird idea. I was like, all right, go, go have fun, Casey. And now it's like <laughs> the biggest project in Bitcoin it feels like right now. So good for him in that regard. But uh, otherwise, yeah, I mean, it's just, I, I don't care about NFTs. I'm not going to buy or sell them, but uh yeah, my biggest fear is kind of like what you said is like, you know, if people like are like don't want to do op vault or something because of this, that'd be like a real downside. But I hope people can see like Taproot and op vault or Taproot versus Segwit are very different. Like they're not complete overhauls of how transactions work. You know, the interesting on the dynamic is that like, you know, Taproot is so far from actual use still as well, because, you know, there's no integration, there's no use cases that are like obvious, right? at least not to the normal average use of Bitcoin. So like it feels like you have this like new primitive, right? On Bitcoin that nobody uses it except the people's, you know, spray painting the cathedral. <laughs> like it's, uh, it gives people a very bad taste. And uh, I am curious to see like if this thing takes off a little bit, how, how lightning open and closed channels transactions compete for the same lower uh, economic density transactions as as the stuff does, it'll be pretty ironic, but still interesting nonetheless. Okay, guys, there is some some optech stuff I can mention if you guys want and are interested. Okay, so 
let's get some questions. Uh, thoughts on the future of Keat, Hole Punch, potential Nostra Bitcoin integration. So Keat is interesting, has a bunch of trade-offs that are unresolved. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's complicated. It, it leaks IP still. It, 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 to do that without it, you're going to need some coordinators and and still unresolved. Well, Craig is coming to Nostra. Craig already responded that. Constructive criticism for Nostra priorities as they seem. Anyway, see, this is what happens when you ask questions on Nostra. <laughs> Audience questions, they ask questions about Nostra. <laughs> I'm trying to be careful to not make this show about Nostra, but it's hard to not mention it because it's so intertwined with Bitcoin. You know, freedom money, it's, it's kind of like not as powerful if you don't have freedom communication. Because like in order for humans to trade, they need to talk to each other. So, uh, and Bitcoin needs ways of coordination of like on the social layer. So that's why I got my teeth on Noster and, and won't let go. Details on BIP uh, 329 and how it works and practically how to use it. Did you cover this, uh, Craig, or did you want to just... Well, I'll just do it very briefly. Basically, uh, any wallet that you have that has labels in it, you just go in Sparrow to file uh, export wallet and you'll see a labels option there, um, which will allow you to export wallets. And I'm sure we'll, others, we'll see other wallets, uh, you know, add that sort of thing as well. And then you can just use file import wallets or whatever the other wallets use to kind of import stuff. Um, I'm sure that that's, that'll be the kind of the sort of import export functions uh, that use that. So it's really just a file format um, that you can then, you know, transfer that file around and bring it in wherever you want it. Thanks. All right. So some of the shout outs, uh, Bitcoin sticker bounties, uh, no good radio and I'll be buzz. Listen, guys, uh, I, I mean, thank you so much for sticking around for two hours. You know, like it's uh, we try to accomplish the goal show, which is bored everyone to death with the maximum amount of signal. I, I think this was uh, successful in that way. I really appreciate everything you guys do for Bitcoin and the projects you guys work on. So any final thoughts, uh, Craig? Nothing really. Um, yeah, you know, um, good to be be here. Thank you for coming. Uh, ben. Yeah, thanks for having me on again. It was fun. Um, I don't know, fuck Craig right? That's always a good thought. Lynn, thank you so much for coming in and surviving our nerd out. Thank you so much for commenting on everything. Any final thoughts? Uh, I think uh, it, it's funny if you look at the the crypto criticism of bitcoin they're always like nothing's happened on on bitcoin nothing's building on bitcoin and like literally this this show went long because there's so much happening and we're trying to like figure out how to organize and, and comment on all this stuff yeah and it, it just kind of shows that there is a lot happening and it's all about actually you know for the, for the most part it's about how to make money better how to make it more private how to make it more secure how to make it easier to use how to make it faster you know instead of just for the most part like building random shit on other things. So I actually, I'm, I'm very bullish on all the, all the devs and all the people that are working on this. Uh, and I certainly learned a lot by, you know, uh, sitting here, listening to some of the details uh, at a finer level than I normally do. So I appreciate you having me on. Well, thank you. You know, that, that was one of the reasons why we started the show is because, you know, people are just saying, Hey, nothing's happening in Bitcoin. And, and I'm like, hang on a second. I can't. And, and we cut out like a good third of this. It's absolutely endless. And we didn't even cover the optech stuff, which is everything that's happening in core. It's very bullish. It, it really is. 
So we have a lot of show notes with a lot of stuff that we didn't even get to. Thank you so much, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you're new to the pod, make sure to listen to some very cool other episodes. Episode 15 about lightning, episode 11 about podcasting 2.0 and value for value. And we also had a hardware wallet security panel on episode 5. Don't forget to follow at Bitcoin Review HQ or get in touch on Telegram, Bitcoin Review Pod, or Bitcoin Review at CoinKite.com. We don't have a crystal ball, so let us know about your projects. Leave your boostagram on this episode and we'll try to read it on the next episode. We've added more people to the splits. Now, if you send us streaming sets, some of that go to opensets.org and also to Citadel Dispatch with my guest, Odell. If you don't know much about Value for Value or Bitcoin Podcast 2.0, go to bitcoin.review slash v4v. Mm-hmm.